man. Watched him at the NHL draft. He's just providing great analysis on a ton of picks where I always wonder with dudes who cover the draft in the NHL how it's possible with like just the distribution of talent in hockey. It's not like you're just watching college football, right? It's not one league. It's all over the place. But also because he broke news about the Toronto Maple Leafs yesterday. I don't know if he was picking his spots or what was going down, but going with the Leafs news, breaking the Leafs news, I would guess that Mr. Weeks got more interaction on that tweet than whoever broke Dougie Hamilton or whoever broke Gabe Landeskog. Uh, the man who did it joins me now. Kevin Weeks, former NHL goaltender and analyst for ESPN and the NHL Network. What's up, man? I'm good, man. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. And hi to my folks back in Toronto and my sister and my niece and, and everybody else out there. Hope you're all doing well. Love it. I hope your niece, she always listens to the show. Is this why you chose to do this one? Because you were like, this is her favorite? Um, anyone that I happen to be on is their favorite, yeah. but beyond that, yeah. Sesame Street, and I haven't been on that yet. So, that's oh man, I haven't been. <laughs> but I grew up that on Sesame cool, Street though. in terms of loving too, yeah. right? That'd be cool. I mean, you could probably just lie and say that you were involved in one of the puppets. I feel like you know she might not call you on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could say that I was Gordon who used to be on there, but I need to grow a mustache then, though. <laughs> So you break the Morazic news yesterday. Let's just start with this, man. How, yeah. how did you feel about the signing? How did you feel about the fit? When you got that news, when that thing came across, what was your initial gut reaction to it? I'll say this. Let me qualify it this way. You know, I've known him and Freddie, and Freddie, I think, did a real outstanding job in his five years there. Mm-hmm. He was very stable, consistent for the most part, especially regular season. He had a really good run with the Leafs. So best of luck to Freddie, too. Uh, and him heading back to the team that originally drafted him, which is Carolina. Yeah. So, but as far as my concerned, and knowing him as well, he's a former Ottawa 67, also fellow, I should say, and we've cultivated a relationship. And some of the people in his camp I know very well. So, and obviously he played in Carolina, and as, as did I. So as the information came to me, and once I got clearance that that I was able to report it, then my initial thought was, this is good because the Leafs are going with the tandem. As opposed to Freddie, you know, they had a true bona fide number one. Now with Jack Campbell, who's come there and played exceptionally well, you complement him with uh, Peter Mrazek, who's played more games, obviously, throughout the course of his career. And over the course of Mrazek's career, he's always played well in big games, going back to World Junior in Edmonton, going back to his time with Ottawa 67, going back to his time in the American League. He won the HL Calder Cup with uh, Grand Rapids when Jeff Blashill was their coach in the American League level. And at the NHL level, especially with Carolina, he's played very well in the postseason overall. So I think he's going to be a nice fit for what they're going for. And they're doing it on value at the position. But Peter Mrazek, very talented, very skilled, competes hard, mm-hmm. a very uh, athletic goalie, a power goalie. He's fun to watch. And I think him and Jack Campbell are going to be a, a nice tandem there for the Leafs. I don't think goaltending should be a problem for either one, really for either one of them, but I mean for the organization on a game-to-game basis. Uh, I think they're going to have good good goaltending this upcoming season by way of a tandem. Yeah. It's hard to know as of now whether or not they upgraded. And Anderson got more. He's had the better track record as a pure, you know, takes the load and runs with its starter. Right. But Mrazek has had success in these tandems. Um, I, I guess, like, you know the guy. 
Um, clearly he wants to win. Clearly he's competitive enough to want the net. There were some reports of, you know, being frustrated with Gorley carousels in the past. Are we making a little bit too much of just like, he's going to play, right? It's Jack Campbell. He's got an injury history and it's just the way the NHL is right now where you're not going to see someone start 60 games over the course of a regular season. Certainly not on this Leafs team, but what do you think that a big part of his decision was he viewed this as a scenario where he could win the net, where he could become the one a in the tandem. I would have to think that that factored into a discussion. We spoke yesterday. He was on the golf course back in Czech Republic, but you know, we've been we've been in touch for quite a while uh, since we cultivated our relationship. And I know a big thing that he shared with me too is the fact that coming to Toronto, he comes to a team that has a ton of resources and that's yeah. committed, at least from a resource standpoint, to getting over the hump and committed to winning. And, and there's something that he knows that he knows that that's a big part of. Uh, of the lore and playing there. And keep in mind, too, a lot of people don't recognize it's an original six, and he played for an original six. He was drafted by an original six franchise in Detroit. And also the fact that he played junior in Canada. Like he, he left the Czech Republic and went to you know, the nation's capital back home to play in Ottawa. So there's some familiarity with that. That, that wasn't daunting to him. And as it is to some players for different reasons, be it family, be it um, isolation from family by way of COVID, you know, the whole mind, right? There's a lot of different factors. This is somebody that was born and raised in Czech Republic. And in my own instance, for example, I was born and raised in Toronto. And based on our really tight restrictions that we have, I haven't been able to see my family. I probably hope to do that in the next week or so. So that, you know, there's different factors for different people. But he really was, he was bullish on, on signing with the Leafs. There's a lot that he likes about that organization. And, and where they're headed and the, the talent that they have in their group. So those are all factors that he shared with me. See, that actually excites me a lot. I, I was talking to Kevin Woodley yesterday after the signing happened. Mm-hmm. And yep. we just we had a conversation about fit. And Kevin raised some just really good points about how we really do overlook structure with goaltenders. And we overlook mm-hmm. relationships with goalie coaches and relationships with power, like penalty kill coaches and, yeah, overall structures of organizations. And that he thought what a part of what played a factor into Mrazek's struggles the season before were maybe some loose elements to that structure. And so coming here, how big a part of that do you think it was coming to Toronto? Just like the coaching staff, the organization, what kind of support he's going to be getting, the role that he's going to be having on the team, those intangibles that maybe we wouldn't be thinking about as much as market, which I, I do want to circle back on. Yeah, I mean, Kevin makes some good points there in the fact that you know you, you look at what your pros and cons are of, of joining an organization and playing for a certain team playing in a certain city or country or, you know, whatever the case may be. And and in the case of some of the points that you just made, I think a big part of it is opportunity. And, you know, I played in Carolina. I I love the organization there in Carolina. I got to tell you, Rod Brindamore, my former teammate, just won the Jack Adams. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, he's the best coach in the league next to John Cooper. He's an amazing culture builder. Mm -hmm. He lives and breathes and exemplifies what he wants from everybody around him. So he's not just somebody that demands excellence. He exhibits and lives excellence. And I think in the Leafs case, there's an opportunity for them to finally get over the hump. Like everything for them is going to be, is going to be based upon postseason. regular season at another outstanding regular season. 
They can score. They're electrifying to watch when they're on their game. They can snap the puck around. They can make plays. And they haven't been able to get over that hump. I mean, it's seven years with that group that has a ton of talent, but they haven't won around. And that's not to yep. be um, that's not to be condescending. It just really further underscores the opportunity to do something big, especially with that roster. So, uh, I think for Pete, my big things from from playing with them is it's a huge hockey market. It's it's always hockey 24-7 in terms of the emphasis. The organization has committed those resources and some of the ones that, that Kevin Woodley alluded to and others mm-hmm. having success, even though that hasn't translated into postseason success. And the opportunity to do so is, is certainly there. And that's how they're going to be measured, quite frankly. And that's not to be, you know, I played with Shannon twice, two different teams, the Rangers and the Devils. So I played with Sheldon Keefe. I used to shepherd Sheldon Keefe when he was a rookie with us in Tampa. So just to say, the, the connections run far and wide, so I'm not saying anything condescending, but for that group now, when you've got the great Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and, and, and Nylander and all these amazing players, it, to, to date it hasn't translated into postseason success, which makes that opportunity to have that even bigger and more important. Yeah. It does, and there's nothing condescending about what you're saying. What you're saying is just facts. <laughs> Leafs have not gotten over the hump of the first round. I know, but you, know, you so, know people get rashy. You, know, yeah. you know some people get rashy if you say that water is water, water is wet. Yeah. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here uh, right I now. Follow, I, I got to qualify facts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that here, like, temperatures are running hot, right? Like, that was about as disappointing as it can possibly get for this market where they thought things were going to be different. They thought the team was very good. And the team was good, but, like, you lose to Montreal especially. You know, man, you're from here, what this means and what that meant this season. And then how many pieces are leaving that are of consequence. Like, Felino wasn't here for long, but he was, uh, you, you acquired him for a first-round pick. You lose Zach Hyman. Like, you're losing Freddie Anderson, who, you know, was your starting goaltender throughout the beginning of this tenure. It's it, There's some significant pieces, and that's the other part of this Mrazic equation, right? Like, you get all those resources because you're in a major market where there's a ton at your disposal because there's a huge fan base and there's a lot of people that watch this. I saw, I saw this clip from Michael Jordan yesterday. He was floating around in yep. response to, you know, the criticism of Simone Biles. And he mentioned how it was like, man, he doesn't know how people could do it in the social media era, that it would have been hard for a guy like him. And that's yep. Michael Jordan, like the guy from The Last Dance who was like, anybody who said anything bad about me, I took it and crystallized it and turned it into just becoming the greatest athlete, arguably, who ever lived. And then the idea that there was a certain oh. amount of criticism that he would face, that it would crack him, is overwhelming. And we've seen this where... There's been some reports of, you know, guys, it's not just the restrictions. It's not just the border stuff. It's the social media pressure for these players. And that asking guys to stay offline is actually kind of short-sighted and pretty hard. And I would just say to anybody who says those things, like, would you be able to sacrifice going on social media for, you know, six to eight months of the year? I don't think you would. It, It feels a little bit too much to ask, especially for people who are, you know, raised on their phones. So your read on Mrazic appears to be that he is the kind of guy that will handle being the goaltender of the Toronto Maple Leafs or a goaltender of the Toronto Maple Leafs during a season where expectations are so high. And if a guy who has had some slumps in his career starts to slump, he's going to be able to not fall into the, the mental trappings of this, the public pressure of this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's always been my impression with him because he, he always wanted that big stage to this point in, in terms of Mrazic. So okay, if you go back to Junior and how he played in Ottawa, you go back to what he did at World Junior, you go back to what he did in the AHL Calder Cup Final, um, he just always relished playing in Detroit, 
coming up. They had Jimmy Howard. They had other goalies there, and you know he's had some dips like any one of any one of us would and can and have. But he's always wanted the big stage. He played well in the big games in Carolina. He played well in the postseason. Um, and I've, in fact, we actually had the same as thumb surgery that I had during my time there. He had this year, came back, was able to come back. You look at his numbers. He's got great postseason numbers. And then they just had this this carousel of three goalies that can all play. So, you know, there wasn't enough net to go around for him. But mm-hmm. here's the big thing, too, and you made the point. And I've been saying this for years about things back home. But, you know, when I sometimes when I say things, people can, like I said, they can have a tendency to get ratchy because you're saying that water's wet. But ultimately, you know, if you want to be liked and you want to be loved, you got to be likable and lovable. And it's really simple. And I said this on Twitter, I think about three nights ago. You know, when it's all said and done, sports are not on demand. And I've been trying to tell people this for the longest time. So whether whether somebody has the ability to type, to tweet, to Instagram, to TikTok, or whatever they have the ability to do, none of that impacts the, the, the ultimate outcome of sports per se. Right? And when it's all said and done, we I remember – you know, the old TV converters where you had the Gerald box, the brown and beige one, where you had to push the numbers <laughs> to change the channel. You had to push the button. It's different now, right? We live in a different era. And because of convenience, Uber Eats, get the dishes, you know, DoorDash, all the different things, iTunes, everything is on demand and swipeable. But results in elite sports are not swipeable. They weren't swipeable when I was playing at Chesswood Arena or St. Mike's Arena at 10 years old, 8 years old at elite levels. They weren't swipeable. So they're certainly not swipeable in 2021. And a lot of times people will have hot takes or misplaced anger or jealousy and pettiness. And and they'll let that come through and they'll express that on a social media platform. And quite frankly, then people are saying, well, people don't want to play here. Why don't people want to play here? Because of that. <laughs> because and, it, and don't come to me with, oh, well, so-and-so earns X amount of money. It doesn't matter. Everybody's somebody's son or daughter or grand, grandson or nephew or niece or whoever it may be, right, friend brother, sister, everybody, parent, whatever the case may be. And you want to have, you want to have an environment where people want to play guys love playing in Tampa. It's it, believe me, I played there. It's not only sun and taxes and they've got an amazing organization, but the atmosphere, same thing, Carolina, the atmosphere. I mean, at some point in time, it's an amazing opportunity to play at home in Canada for any of the teams. But at the same time, we, we have some, some bad apples in certain instances that, that express a lot of misplaced anger and jealousy that, that make it less attractive at times. And when players look at that and their families have to be subjected to that and players are getting abused online uh, from a standpoint of, you know, threats and, and things of that nature, what, would anybody think that's good? Like if that's your son or daughter and they're going to Oakwood High School back home and that happened to them, would you think it's good? It doesn't matter if they were the star of the track team or the girls you know, um, basketball team or volleyball team, nobody would like that. So when when I hear people, and I've heard some people I know back home that talk about, they're like, oh, well, they I'm out of money. Please, you couldn't handle that in peewee. Like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to handle it as an NHL player or, or whatever the case may be, a Raptor or whoever it would be. So I just think that we have a lot of great things at home. And for the most part, there's a lot of great people, but there's some of that misplaced anger and that behavior. And you end up losing athletes, if you look at the Jays, you have all those awesome second-generational um, players from Vladdy Jr. to Bichette to Biggio's son to whoever, and now they have an exciting team. Let's hope that that continues on that trajectory and you don't have 
the pettiness and the jealousy and stuff that that turn people's stomachs from the experience as the players or the people that are in the in the job because they're enmeshed in the community and they want to be enmeshed in the community away from the playing surface so that's something that yeah. that there's room for improvement there for me as far yeah. as i'm concerned because i've seen it personally and and i really think that again like i said if you want to be liked and you want to be wanted you got to be likable and you got to be wantable and and some of that onus is on other people it's not always on the player or the performer so other goalies moved too and they went to maybe some I, I guess one of them didn't go to an easier market Kemper to the Avs Grubauer to Seattle and Allmark yeah. to the Bruins which one of these fits do you like the most I mean I can make a case for all of them to be honest with you mm-hmm. and, and the reason being I, I've been in touch with Darcy Kemper I was wondering when it was going to happen because it seems to be another it seems like a perpetual rebuild in Arizona but it seems to be another rebuild there again so I figured he was going to be moved in the event that they couldn't re-sign Grubauer. I thought that, that Kemper would be moved. And he gave me the heads up that he would be. He's joining what I think is an awesome team. I mean, that team's loaded. That team's stacked. Started with McKinnon, Ranson, and Landeskog. They were able to re-sign, which seemed like it was going to happen. Kale McCarr is the most electrifying defenseman in the league. Love watching him play. You can go up and down. They've got a lot of high-end pieces. And they're a contender right now in this window. So... That's a great fit for, for, for Darcy Kemper. I think in Lena Solman, you know, a lot of you obviously weren't able to get up to to Buffalo the hour and a half from the Toronto area to be able to see them play that much based on the restrictions again. But I like that all, Mark. He's a really good goalie. He's got a lot of skill. He played very well on, on another team that seems to be in a perpetual rebuild. That is the Sabres. So he'll have a great opportunity in Boston, a really, really good opportunity along with the youngster there, Jeremy Swayman, who, who had a great rookie year in pro coming out of University of Maine. And, I mean, if you go around the horn, we can start with those two. Grubauer going to Seattle, I didn't see that happening. You know, I was just out in Seattle for four days yeah. doing the expansion draft, ESPN, and, and and spoke to their brain trust and their ownership group out there. And that was a name that, that I hadn't heard discussed. And I was in touch with his agent yesterday, and uh, that ended up being the way it landed. So I think I was kidding around about this, and I said this on Twitter yesterday. For those of you that go to the CNE or the X, as we call it back home, everybody says that, that the goalie market is like a carousel. I say it's like the Polar Express back, back at the X. Get on, hold on, try to make sure you have a seat, and try to hold on as tight as possible because that's what we saw yesterday. It was such a the goalie market. And, and it's fun. It's been exhilarating. It was fun, um, entertaining. There's just a lot of movement, a lot of motion. So, and still yeah. more pieces to be moved, but a lot of predictability. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see how all these goalie scenarios shake out. I think that they've happened in really cool fashion and to some teams where, yeah, like having the Leafs basically make a trade net, having Grubauer end up in Seattle, seeing if Kemper is going to be an upgrade to what was terrific goaltending so right. far in Colorado, a team that's trying to win a cup. Yeah, Allmark, and seeing if everything that we saw in terms of being able to extrapolate numbers and extrapolate success to a good team in Boston, it's, it's going to be really, really fun. Kevin, thanks so much for making time today, man. This was great. No problem, man. No problem. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks to, uh, to all the fans back home that tune in, too. appreciate you having me. Take care, buddy. Kevin Weeks, former NHL goaltender and analyst for ESPN and the NHL Network.
That is going to be one of the debates of the season. Strap in. Freddie Anderson rips it up with Carolina. Morazic doesn't have a ton of success. It's going to be a nightmare. Conversely, there's going to be a lot of people who are happy and are going to be patting themselves on the back if Freddie Anderson doesn't have a bounce-back season and Morazic looks quality. It's fun. I actually like that. That's the kind of sports stuff I love. Like Those are the kind of debates I, I, I adore. I'm really intrigued by the Kemper thing. That they, got, that they got Arizona to eat the one million bucks, that they gave up the first round pick, they're actually all in this year. It's like you want to, they're not last stands, but they got to win while they've got McKinnon on that deal. It's wild that McCarr got paid like more than he got paid before McKinnon. I know McKinnon's not getting paid peanuts, but it's still interesting to see everybody else on the team make way more money than McKinnon. But that team, like, I think they still have like $5 million worth of cap space left. And so when I, I looked at the Leafs and said, oh, boy, uh, they could still do something with the 3.5, even though it's – like, don't think about it as 3.5 for whoever the winger is, unless somebody moves out, because they're going to keep some cap space. Dubas said it yesterday. They're going to keep some cap space and let it accrue. That, that's clearly part of the plan, and that probably makes a lot of sense. I'm going to trust Brandon Pridham when it comes to the cap. I will trust him on, on that element of this. But that is an, another part of this. is like Not only did the Leafs have no cap, not only did the Leafs overpay their top guys, not only is everything on them when it comes to the scoring, but and this isn't an excuse, but it just it is a factor that Not everybody in the NHL wants to play in the place where pressure is at its highest. Like, if the Leafs suck this year, Kyle Dubas has a very good chance of getting bounced. And if you sign a contract with somebody, you probably want to feel like they're going to be around because they believed in you, they handed you the contract, they want you in the city. And if you're making this commitment, maybe you have kids, whatever, you want to stay there. You want some stability. That's what comes with these deals. That's what comes with these contracts. That's what comes with the term. And the potential for everything to go awry a year from now or completely like rip apart this roster, I think is there's a possibility of that a year from now. If Kyle Dubas is at the helm, probably less so. But if they don't have success, then he's probably not here. And that might maybe, maybe mean you too. You factor that in with the social media pressures. You factor that in with the border you factor that in with the restrictions and the leaf salary cap scenario and it's tough sledding for them right now so i'm pretty excited from, about hearing from kevin in regards to the type of guy morazic is and the way that he identified this situation and is already prepared for it because i've said this before and i said it after they lost to the montreal canadians as hard as it can be here to play sometimes. No one is ever excusing social media weirdos that write horrific things and attacks and all those. Like, obviously, we don't need to go over this. But it's a privilege to be a Toronto Maple Leaf because people care. People care more about this team than just about any other team in the NHL. So it's like, awesome. You can go to Anaheim and people won't hate on you on Twitter as much. Cool. And guess what? You win a Stanley Cup and you know who cares? People in Canada. 
People in Canada care about Corey Perry having that cup and Ryan Getzlaff having that cup. I think people in Anaheim even know who they are. Don't give a crap. Look what the Honda Center is every year when they've had good teams in the playoffs. Half full. So you get an opportunity to do something in Morazic. The idea that he's looking at it and saying, I want to be one of the guys that helps them get over the hump. That's who you need here. People who realize what the upside is and don't just look at everything as the downside in playing in Toronto. Because there's been a lot of downside stuff. Everybody has, it, has talked about the things that I just outlined in terms of how it's difficult to come to Toronto. And, but it just it's seemingly we're losing a little bit of that upside. Which is that, damn, you win even a playoff round here right now. You're Peter Mrazek, you win a playoff round. Not a Stanley Cup. People are going to remember it like it's a Stanley Cup. What do you think more people are going to remember? People in Tampa, the bubble cup? Or people in Toronto, the first time they get over the hump and win one playoff series? Duh. My good friend Matt Hayes. But Maddie, this is your wedding present. Like, missing the Blue Jays' return game, not being in my home, my ballpark, not crying as I sit in there and sip my $22 Bud Light Bubba can. That's your present. Potentially missing the NBA draft tonight, that's my present. And I, I, this is a warning shot to you right now. If I show up tonight at that golf course and there are not little Buddhas on hand, I'm going to be choked. <laughs> I'm going to be choked, choked. Give me my peach little Buddha, buddy. Let me make it happen. Nick Kiprios, upset oh, company are. and director of hockey operations for Line Movement. What's up, buddy? You, you beat me too. I was going to ask you, how's your day today, peachy? Oh, it's peachy. It's peachy hey. every day. It's, it's, it's my it. Friday, all right? Thursday, baby Friday has become real Friday for this kid. So you better believe that <laughs> they're getting chucked back so, tonight. Like, it, it's, at, least a, at least a dozen little Buddhas in your fridge oh, right yeah. now getting ready? I actually think that there's nine. So close. Wow. Pretty close. I think there are nine. Um, I, 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 usually, to, I told you. I may have to drop off a case for you. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's you may alone take our company to another level. That's right, to the moon. You know, it's funny. Last time I mentioned it, my mom saw so I was at I was in Armprior. I was in the Ottawa Valley uh, during yeah. the last time you were on, and I mentioned it. And she comes up, and she's got the LCBO magazine, and she's like, "Did you see this? Next company is in the LCBO." I was like, "Thanks, let's go." Out here. I'll let them know. So there you go, mom. There you go. She, I'm not. No, you got the profile. JD, I'm not even in the magazine. It's my no, wife. She's like, yep. she's like the star right now. Her and her. Yeah. Uh, and our business yeah, partner, Kimberly. Yeah. What do you even do there? Like, you, what I, you, you know what? Is... I, I, I take, uh, I bring them coffee. I, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a woman's world right now, man. I'm just, yeah. I'm lucky they let me in the room. Yeah, that's right. That's very, very right. Well, it keep killing it, man. And again, huge fan of the product. Genuinely, of course. Um, so, 
What I don't know if I can endorse is this Leafs offseason. Um, but I also, it's like, it's hard to kill them when they have no money. It's like, these are the, uh, this is the fruit you get after what happens before. This is, uh, what is it? This is the, the reaping of what you sowed when it came to those contracts. Like, it's Michael Bunting, who <laughs> I guess is the next Zach Hyman because he works hard. I'm like, I, he better work hard because he doesn't seem to have a lot of skill. Same goes for this guy, Kampf. Uh, Peter Morazic feels like a bit of a lateral move to me with Freddie Anderson, maybe even a step back. We'll see. Um, how are you grading this Leafs offseason so far, given the parameters of this Leafs offseason? It's just, it is what it is. And yeah. it didn't, it's not hard to read the tea leaves on where this was headed. And we've had this discussion before at great length in terms of uh, when you started overspending and like anything else uh, wall street or bay street you got to see you got to read the trends and unfortunately no one saw the trend of a pandemic and it stifled the growth of the cap therefore it stifled the toronto maple leafs it's that simple and and you know you're right jd to a certain extent where you can say it's hard to you know be uh, be mad at the Leafs because they have no money to play with. But, you know, there's there's some qu- questionable decisions that have been made over the past few years on roster that really didn't have anything to do with their cap dilemma. And one of the things that we hear now is the lack of depth that they have. And when you look down and only, what, a, a, a short while ago, they had depth. They had secondary guys. Connor Brown, they gave away. Connor Brown had a really good friendly cap number at under two million for uh, on a long term. They they gave him away. The face of sports check. They gave him away. Mm-hmm. I look at now the protection list last week, and how about the name? Mason Marchment. Okay. Mason Marchment is a guy that they brought along. They developed. And the last time I checked, he was protected on the Florida Panthers team, playing beside one of the best centermen in the world in Barkov. That guy, they gave him away. That has nothing to do with the salary cap. That's just a bad decision. And now you're scrambling to bring, you know, guys that score five, seven goals, may play, may not play. Um, Gabriel, will they play him? Will they play him? I know he's got a reputation for some sandpaper, but we don't even know if they're going to play him. So those are the things that I think are frustrating for Lee fans is just looking at that roster and now playing catch-up, you know, Trevor Moore. I know you needed him to bring in some of the pieces from L.A. like Muzzin, but uh, those are the type of guys now that are, are kind of missing from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, and you know what, man? It's a great point because everyone does point to it and say, like, what can you do, what can you do, what can you do? My counter to it has always been, well, when Dubas arrived – and, and, like, I'm not really trying to make this into, like, a, a kill Dubas thing, but it was, like, this was supposed to be someone who was going to be able to identify talent that 
wasn't there around the league, right? That his method of finding skill and his approach to loading up on skill was going to be the philosophy that worked. And now it's like none of these, like, Marley's dudes that have come up, like Pierre Engvall, who wants Pierre Engvall on their team next year? Like, is there a single solitary person in the city of Toronto who's like, I can't wait to see what Pierre Engvall does this next year? Like, they went out and got Alex Kerfoot, and it was, hey, because we think that there's more there and we think that he could play center. And it's like, ah, he can't play center, and now they're potentially having to move him to the wing and ask him to play up the lineup, and he's making $3.5 million that, you know, they would probably like to use elsewhere, as exemplified by them getting McCann. Like, there's just not a lot of depth on this team, both prospect and forward depth. And for a team that's like, we want to be built on skill, the way I see it is there are four guys who can score, five if you include Jason Spezza. The rest of the roster is all guys where it's like, okay, they're going to grind around the net and maybe they're going to tip one in. But more likelihood, if they're going to score 10 goals like Michael Bunting did, they're going to need shooting percentages of 25%, which is kind of strange considering the philosophies of this team on the outset. Yeah, in Listen, not, not to beat up Kyle Dubas, but there's a lot of general managers that have a, a similar di- uh, dilemma here, and uh, that's what the that's the beast in, in the salary cap is that you have to be you not only do you have to manage every penny, but you can't miss on too many guys. And I think if you look back right now in in, in Kyle Dubas's tenure right now, there there have been some misses. There's no question. And when you have that and, uh, and, and half your payroll and four guys, uh, there, there's not much there for a recipe of success. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder. And it's hard to yeah. watch a guy like Zach Hyman leave for nothing. Yeah. And I do want to get to Morgan Riley in a second about this. But yeah. so- well, in, you know, in, in like I mentioned, the Connor Browns, that, that to me, I watch that guy right now turning into a, a terrific leader for the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. And uh, the decision, like uh, Kapanen, you know, for for a first rounder on on a team that's supposed to win the Stanley Cup in two years or three years, what are those picks going to do for you? And now, and now you are on the clock with Austin Matthews. Okay, you've got two years to win a Stanley Cup this year and next year because he's going into his third year as a UFA. They got to, you know, if it's me right now, that I, I gotta, I gotta think long and hard about giving up a first rounder and Nick Robertson to go get a legitimate top six guy on low money. So that means for me, uh, targeting a guy like uh, Christian Dvorak in uh, in Arizona, go bring that guy. That guy played in one more Memorial Cup with Marner. That's the type of guy that you need on the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Do you think that's the more likely outcome here? Because like, I was going to bring that up is like, um, Elliot has the report of Toronto has indicated that it's protecting its remaining cast base. approximately three and a half million for a forward, likely a top six winger, uh, could be someone remaining in free agency or from another team needing cap relief. We'll see how this goes. Stay tuned and quote. And it feels like, when I read that, well, free agency seems tough to go get a top six forward unless yeah. it's like you're taking a real bargain bin shopping because Nick Felino just got $3.8 million. So That's right. Um, and, the idea and we're not sure if Nick can still play. And, and right. we're not even sure that Nick Felino can still play. Okay? So and that's a hell a of a flyer. It's a hell of a flyer by the Boston Bruins. And, you know, quality guy. But as far as, you know, bringing it, and it's not Nick Foligno's fault. We don't even know if, how healthy he was when he got here. But that was uh, a, a colossal mistake by the Leafs to give up a first-rounder and now watch 
the, the guy that you brought in for that first round or go against the team that you're competing against to try to get out of the, uh, you know, win a division off of, you know. So, uh, like I said, I, I, I think it's not about, it's about the here and now for the Leafs. you got two years to try to win a Stanley Cup with Austin Matthews. And then he walks out the door. Like, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, dude, it's a terrifying thought. Again, like, that's the opportunity cost in all of this that people, I don't think, reference enough, which is you only have that many guaranteed years. Yeah. I got to you're, not gonna, you, yeah. you're not going to let Austin, you're not bringing Austin in. He's either going to sign his extension or he's going to go somewhere else in that third year. But you, you can't flirt with fire. Uh, you know, so you got to convince that uh, for Austin that uh, they're going to compete not well beyond, you know, the three years left on his contract. And how do you do that? By, tr- by winning a Stanley Cup in the next two. So I also look at this right now as one of the most important things in the offseason is going to be that trade for the winger. Like the potential trade. I guess if they could go in free agency, but I don't love that option. Or what they're going to do with Morgan Riley here, because watching Zach Hyman leave had to be a real eye-opener for people as to if a guy has the value to an organization that's willing to max out on term with him at $5.5 bucks, like it has to make you wonder what you could have gotten for that player had you moved him. I'm not saying that they should have. Obviously not. They were all in last year. Um, but then I see Seth Jones get traded, and he goes for a haul. And I can't imagine that... Morgan Riley is that far off of what he is? Like, I maybe he is. Maybe I'm totally wrong on this one. But the idea that you would sacrifice and do another own rental after the amount of own rentals that this team has done leads me to believe that they have to re-sign this guy. They have to make sure that Morgan Riley is either a part of the team moving forward or not. And that the end of... If there's one thing that Kyle Dubas can no longer defend, it's the own rental stuff because they just... It has not worked out for this team whatsoever. It has been a disaster. What do you think the future holds for Morgan Riley in this organization and, and the approach that they are going to take with him? Well, just look at where it was heading at the latter end of... No, let's go further. Let's go back. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about where it, it was headed for Morgan Riley when they brought in Tyson Berry. Mm-hmm. And Morgan lost his spot on the power play to Barry and then that didn't work out and then they brought him back and then there were some issues on the power play and then he lost his job to Sandin coming in mm-hmm. at the end of the most critical time of the year against the Montreal Canadiens Sandin turned in to be that, that pivotal quarterback type of guy he looked a lot more like a number one defenseman than Morgan Riley did at times and they've got their issues with him in terms of what they really think he is. So how, how are you going to get him to a long-term deal? Now there's others out there that may not put Morgan Riley, and this is to your point, they may not put him in that Dougie Hamilton or Seth Jones uh, slot, but how far is he behind them? Did you see the money that went out for defensemen yesterday? Mm-hmm. Coming off yeah. a secondary pandemic, it's like if you're Morgan Riley, you know your money's coming. Yeah, and as Hyman proved, uh, I I, I want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, but not that badly that I'm going to give up that type of cake. So I got to think that they're 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 going to find a ways 
to, to move on from him because I don't see him. Uh, I don't see the Leafs stroking a check with an AAV around seven and a half million dollars. And I, I would think that would be the bottom line for his ask on a long-term deal, seven and a half based on, on the money that's out there and the minutes that he can log and the things that he can still do despite how they feel about him on a, uh, as a number one power play guy. Uh, Kipper, thanks again for doing this. And, uh, yeah, go enjoy yourself. Some, you know, go get high on your own supply. The little, uh, <laughs> no, you know, no, no, no. That's the first time. rule. Yeah. That's no, the first rule is don't. Yeah, I, I think uh, many people have violated that rule, uh, so you would not be the first. You'd be all right, man. Uh, Nick Kiprios, Director of Hockey Operations for Line Movement and uh, Little Buddha. Thanks for making time as always, pal. All right, J.D. Have a great one, pal. You too. Yeah, the Morgan Riley thing is um, it's the worst because I'm a huge Morgan Riley fan. Uh, I think that his his career here is hilarious because it's like he – I thought escaped criticism far too frequently throughout the vast majority of his tenure here. And then last year he ended up getting a little too much, but ultimately he's not to me, a, a, a bona fide number one defenseman, but he is a obvious, obvious, really, really good guy in your top four. He's not phenomenal on the power play, which leaves you wanting a bit when we're talking about top four defensemen. And I do think that the 20 goal season was a bit of an, well, I know it was an aberration, but I don't think you can go wrong having a guy like Morgan Riley on your team. And if we're talking about the dudes who I don't think are the problem, um, I don't think Morgan Riley is the problem. But the idea that you would let him walk now too and enter another offseason where you say, well, Morgan Riley's $5.5 million came off the books, and it's like, yep, you know what $5.5 million gets you now? Uh, not Morgan Riley. So you're taking another step back. And so to me, it's like you, you have to figure him out in a trade and just accept that it's time to move Rasmus Sandin up the lineup or ask more of Travis Dermott or something because I just – I don't see the path here that makes sense where you just roll Morgan Riley into a season and then the only scenario in which you trade him is if you fall off the cliff and you're back in a similar spot to the one you were in with Tyson Berry where you have to mortgage and, uh, or you have to sacrifice what you're going you're gonna to take back. Even though the Leafs should have done Tyson Berry for a second-round pick, that was an absolute no-brainer. Hindsight and even in the moment. I, so you can check the receipts. I had that at the time. I had that then. I'll have that forever. Um, but, yeah, they got to figure out what they're doing with Morgan Riley. It's still a big part of the offseason, and it's probably an overlooked part of the offseason. Like, it, it really is. Um, and, yeah, three and a half is just it, – it looks fine. It looks like, oh, you could get something for that. And then, again, remind yourself that Nick Foligno got more than that on a two-year deal with Boston after the season that he put together. And I love Nick Foligno, but yes, Kipper's right. There's some real question marks there, especially when it comes to offense and being able to play in the top six. Like, 3.5 is nothing. And it's not 3.5 because they have said they want to carry cap into the offseason. Or, sorry, into the regular season. Also, just quickly, Dubas does deserve credit for this. The protection list thing... After seeing what defensemen got in this market, there is absolutely no way in hell Justin Hall wouldn't have gotten taken by the Kraken. And that that right now would look ass. 
So I, I know that everybody's dogpiling and everybody's doing the same thing and the same takes, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as this as anybody else. But protecting Justin Hall turned out to be uh, obvious and good. Two million bucks for Justin Hall is quality. And yeah, people can say this stuff about Jake Muzzin having to stay healthy and Justin Hall potentially being slightly overrated or all this blah, 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 blah. That's an overthink. Justin Hall, two million bucks is a really, really good contract. He's a solid player who can play in your top four. And if guys like Davis and Zavard are getting what they got from Montreal, what, like four million bucks? Yeah. You do it. You keep Justin Hall and you worry about the Kerfoot equation. You figure that out a different way. But the Hall signing was good. Either way, um, I can't wait to have discussions about what the Leafs are going to do with uh, $3 bucks <laughs> or potentially trades. It's going to carry me through August. Let's go.